And thank you for joining me once again on this edition of Focus on Fertility. I'm your host, Dale Bader, and today we're kind of doing some follow-up still to our activities from the American Society of Reproductive Medicine's annual congress that we were able to attend just a few weeks ago. As you know, as we had mentioned during those discussions live from Denver, there were several awards presented. One of the awards was presented was the SRBT Lifetime Achievement Award, and that was presented to Dr. Rusty Poole, Ph.D., and he is one of the lab directors that is helping to take care of those many embryos out there across the country. Dr. Poole, first of all, congratulations on winning this Lifetime Achievement Award, and secondly, thank you for joining us today. Uh, It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. It was an incredible honor, and and thank you for having me. So uh, fill us in a little bit about what this award meant to you and uh, what it means to be awarded in front of your peers? Well, that's, uh, it's an overwhelming honor. Uh, You know, when we, you think about getting into the field, you think about the number one goal is just to try to um, do what we do in the lab to try to help people have families. Uh, That some of your peers think you you may have done something that may have helped them uh, achieve that goal in their center, in their setting is is really amazing. I'm, I'm, uh, the, the deepest honor is to be is to be awarded this in the presence of so many fantastic scientists and practitioners. Uh, that's the best part of being in this field, uh, other than helping people. Is the is the people I've met that do laboratory work. They're a phenomenal bunch, and to be honored by them and in front of them is just I, I can't put it into words how how gratifying that is. Now, as we were talking off air, you mentioned that you've kind of been involved in this really since about 1980, 1981, and then with initial research and then gradually transitioning to your current position. So over that time period, almost 40 years, what have you seen as changes in the field of assisted reproductive technology that have been uh, some of the biggest challenges? Oh, that spans a big time period. But, you know, I would say thinking of it in terms of the entire field, um, certainly uh, as it was introduced is getting... Um, acceptance of the field, both ethical, moral, religious acceptance, that it was it, it was a good thing to do and it was an ethical thing to do. And, you know, for any of the people in, in our field or, or people interested in the field that aren't familiar with it, I would I would advise people to grab a copy of, of the late Howard Jones's book, Bringing IVF to America. He was the father of American IVF, and, and in that he chronicled the battles that he faced in bringing us to Norfolk, Virginia, and the interactions he had with the Catholic Church. It really was a, was a, a, a tough deal, but, but uh, Howard and Georgiana Jones really navigated that for us in a great way. I'd say on a personal note, the challenge that I've always had and still have today as a, as a laboratory director is evaluating all of the new science and technology that is coming into the field and, and looking at it in terms of our patients. Is it right for our patients? Is it efficacious? Is it safe? Is it cost-effective? Um, and if we're going to bring something in, uh, like new technologies are very good, but they're very time-consuming, so how am I going to fit that into the schedule to where doing that is not going to impinge on some other patient's chances? So it's turned into the science has been really exciting, and, and it's been challenging, but management and evaluating things uh, from a scientific perspective on behalf of what might or might not help patients, that's, that's been a continuing challenge since day one. And in this time period, obviously you've seen lots of changes. What are some of the biggest changes that you think have uh, taken place over that time? 
I would say uh, one of the huge changes was the introduction of sperm injection, uh, of intracytoplasmic sperm injection by Gianpiero Palermo at the time who was in Belgium, and now is at Cornell, and also by Michael Tucker, Dr. Tucker, who was in Atlanta at the time, also helped foster that technology in the U.S. Uh, and, and really got it going. So that happened in the U.S. It got going in 1992, 1993, in that era. It had done it a little bit earlier, but it absolutely revolutionized male factor treatment. Uh, prior to that, we had very, very few tools to address uh, male factor, and now it really uh, has just opened up an entire arena. So I think that's one of the biggest changes. Of course, uh, another thing has been the advances we've made in, in understanding embryos and in, in what they need in terms of culture technology. It's just amazing looking back at the late 1970s and looking at the work that Bob Edwards did in, in, in England and learning to grow human embryos. Um, we were just lucky. Human embryos are very uh, are very lax in terms of what we can do to them. They're, they're pretty resilient. So we were able to use really inappropriate culture technology and still get success. But now uh, we have learned how to grow them to late stages. We've learned a lot about their nutritional requirements, uh, what's good and what's bad. And so we can routinely produce embryos at late stages that have a real high implantation potential. And I think that's that's one of it. And, of course, another thing is is that we have developed tools to address infertility that involve operating on embryos. But the nice thing now is that we're using those tools amalgamated with, with genetic technology to be able to address issues uh, that are not specifically pro uh, problems of infertile couples, uh, couples that are experiencing issues because of a single genetic disease. We can now use the tools we had developed originally for infertile technology and bring that over and, and apply that to a broader sectum. So that's really nice to be able to expand what we've developed solely for, for infertility. And I think the exciting thing is we're getting some non-invasive tools that are coming online. So I think that we're beginning to get to a point where we're not going to have to do uh, the embryo surgery that we've had to do in the past to be able to get answers about both metabolism and genetics. So it's, that's, that's an exciting thing coming online. But those have been some of the big things. Are there some of the changes that you've seen place that maybe you wish they hadn't and maybe the old-time ways were, were better? <laughs> The older you get, the more you look back at the old times. But, no, I, I really haven't. I think most of what we've seen developed technologically have been really for, for good reasons, and they're pretty good, pretty good methods. I would say, though, the, the thing you have to do is apply them judiciously. Um, is it something that's right for, for your center? Is it right for your patients? Um, is it appropriate? So I think the technology in and of itself is fine. I think, though, you have to give some thought and consideration to the application of it. I think that's more important than uh, – I haven't seen really anything that, that I don't think should be in the field. And where do you think the field of ART is going, let's say in five years and then maybe even looking beyond that to ten years from now? Uh, that's really the exciting part. Um, you know, the, the whole focus now in medicine is drifting more and more towards what's called precision medicine or personalized medicine. And so instead of just having a patient present and then you look at their symptoms and you just give them a treatment, that treatment may help some people. It may not help some people. It may actually harm some people because it's just a generic treatment for that specific diagnosis that you do. Well, we're getting away from that. And now the whole issue in medicine is to bring into specifics about the patient. 
in terms of knowing the patient's genetics. Um, so we are in a position now to learn a lot about individual people's genetics, and putting that into uh, a same picture of looking at their lifestyle gives us a much better chance to individualize um, therapies that are addressed specifically for that person. Well, if you can do that for people, you can do it for embryos. Embryos have the same genetics as the patient. Um, and so I think down the road, uh, precision embryology is going to be a thing we do. I think we'll be able to address uh, maybe therapeutically in culture some issues that, that we're not currently addressing. So I think that's one really exciting thing. And a lot of that, again, is based on the exciting possibility of doing a lot of, of, of uh analysis of embryos through non-invasive means, and that's really what's coming online. So I would say, you know, to summarize, I think five to ten years we will be doing very little embryo biopsy. There'll be no need for it. We can do it non-invasively by um, doing assays of culture medium. I think we'll be able to specifically address the, the problems of specific embryos and maybe get them a whole lot more of them over the, the implantation uh, threshold that we need to do to get a, a much higher pregnancy rate. I think that's where it's going. And then you mentioned some of those items, such as the non-invasive biopsy of embryos. You know, from a financial standpoint, too, that's going to be a, a help to patients going through treatment, not only Ab- from the science yes. part, but from the financial part. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just going to reduce costs, and that's going to be another thing. I think that you're going to see more and more automation coming in, uh, which will be a good thing because it has the opportunity to reduce costs as well. So so access to care is huge, and, and the financial hurdle is one of the biggest blocks to access to care. So I, I'm in full agreement with you. I think reducing costs and getting this technology out to more and more uh, people is going to be the wave of the future. Well, Dr. Poole, I appreciate you again for taking the time out. Uh, I know you have a busy schedule taking care of those embryos down there, being the, the those first embryos babysitters, and also congratulations again on that award that you've been able to receive from your peers and wishing you the very best, and hopefully at some point we'll get to talk to you once again. Great. So much pleasure in talking to you, and take care now. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you've been trying to start your own family and haven't had success, you're not alone. Millions of people just like you are experiencing the same very personal and painful frustration. Infertility affects men and women equally. The Missouri Center for Reproductive Medicine, MCRM Fertility, can help. MCRM accepts most insurance and you don't need a referral. They offer the most advanced science and technology, including exclusive techniques and the embryoscope. Check them out at mcrmfertility.com. And again, we'd like to send a very special thank you for Dr. Rusty Poole for joining us today. He is the scientific director from the Fertility Center of San Antonio, and it was an honor to have him join us and share the insights of what he has seen change over the last 30-plus years that he's been involved in the field, as well as where he thinks the field's going. You could definitely tell the excitement he has in his voice about what he thinks is coming over the next couple years, five years and ten years, that's going to be revolutionary as well as beneficial to the patients. So again, thank you, Dr. Poole, for being our guest today. And we want to say thank you for you being our listener today and tuning in. Without you, there would be no need for this podcast, and we deeply appreciate you taking time out each week for a new episode of Focus on Fertility. And if you're new or maybe you've been around for a while but want to get caught up on some of the previous episodes, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at focusonfertility.net or by simply looking online through our iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio Network, 
iHeartRadio and Podcast One listings, and you can catch up on the previous podcast there. And we'd also invite you to follow us on a weekly basis by joining up and logging in. Until we can able to connect with you next week for yet another episode of Focus on Fertility, I'm your host, Dale Bader, wishing you the very best on your fertility journey.